Welcome back to the Global Gamers Podcast. Back at it for another week. And Ed, I am just feeling this inexplicable anger. I'm so angry right now, and I don't know what it is. Why? Why? Any any particular reason? I just, or is it because of the game we're talking about today? Yeah, it's the game. I, I'm just feeling this 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 feeling of unbridled angst or ire that's just boiling below the surface, ready to boil over. So you have a blood rage. Is that what you're trying to say? It's exactly what I'm trying to say. I have a nice. very okay. serious blood rage. Cool. Well, in that case, we can spend the next 45 minutes or so talking about blood rage. How's that? I mean, that sounds great. I I, I didn't come into this recording knowing that's what episode we were doing, so I'm really glad it worked out this well. <laughs> cool. Seamless transition. <laughs> so, everyone, <laughs> on that note, rushing right into it because we're so, uh, I don't know. We're, we're ready to pulsing. go. Exactly. <laughs> Today we are going to review Blood Rage, the 2015 release by Eric M. Lang, with art by Adrian Smith, published by Simon Games. And this is an interesting one because it is one that up until recently we hadn't played, but one that we had known a lot about for a while. And we talked mm-hmm. about it a bit when we... um mentioned when we did our review of Ankh Gods of Egypt. And, you know, this game is, <laughs> our conversation is in conversation with that, and, our, and this game is in conversation with that game. So to an extent, we are going to kind of have to, um, you know, make those comparisons. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, the reason I say that is because they're designed by the same person, with artwork by the same person, published by the same company, and they have the same basic um, like DNA in that they are area control combat games that have cool miniatures that are based in some kind of ancient mythology. Yeah. You know, well, so with Ankh, obviously it was ancient Egypt. With this one, it's ancient Norse Viking mythology. So this game is part of a trilogy of games. So this was the first one. So we're going back to the beginning. And then the second one was Rising Sun, which was based in like a mythological medieval Japan. And then um, Gods of Egypt, you know, with the ancient Egypt theme came in in 2021, closing out the trilogy. So why don't we begin? That's that's kind of diving into the theme. Um, well, and how, Blood Rage, and how poetic that the trilogy started with the end of the world. Huh, indeed. Um that's a Ragnarok reference. Um, so this game on Board Game Geek has a complexity rating of 2.88. Uh, it plays two to four players in 60 to 90 minutes. And it, currently it is ranked overall 44 of all time. So what is Ankh, that's impressive. Not to break out the comparisons too soon, but what is Ankh ranked out of curiosity? I think it's, I think it's like, in the mid 100s hmm. so it's like one i think when i checked it at some point it was 128 that could have changed yeah now let me just check it quickly um oh never mind it's 215 oh wow of all time and just to be um a completionist on this rising sun the final game of that, tri- well, the middle game of the trilogy is overall in one thirteen. Okay. Ah. So, yeah, that's pretty respectable across the board, but it seems like clearly Blood Rage is coming in, um, at you know maintaining its popularity long term. Yeah. But the interesting thing with that is, like, it's like the, I don't really know how much of a commentary that is versus just like how many games get the same rating because blood rage has an average rating of a 7.9 and then the other two both have a 7.8 so i feel like there's just like a big glut of games Mm -hmm. that fall into that range and then you know we're really talking on the margins so it's hard to say yeah um the complexity score differences are interesting Yes. And then the other thing that I've noticed as well is I think that sometimes I might be wrong on this, but 
anecdotally with some of these games that come in like series or trilogies, it seems to me that after a while, the later games um, kind of maybe suffer a little bit. Hmm. Um, like, I don't know if like the people who would buy it drop off because they already have the other one or people just get kind of used to it. So like, could be way like Wayfarers of the South Tigris isn't that high up on the all time lists. Um, compared to like the West Kingdom games or Raiders of the North Sea. And in no way is that a worse game. In fact, I think we both agree it's a better game than any of those that we've played. Yeah. So it's hard to say. Um, but the the fact is that obviously these games are all very successful and loved because, um, you know, they just keep making them. And even though, um, you know, I think Simon's trilogy with Eric Lang ended it's interesting because he also worked on he still works i think on like their zombicide games which are also um you know right. miniatures heavy and there's a new one that they have a kickstarter for right now i'm not sure if he's involved with it or not but it's called mordred and again it's, it's a based ton on of... art arthurian legends yeah huh. yeah so all the yeah and it looks very similar to like ankh and blood rage with the minis and everything huh. it like i don't know if it's a what's simon game but it looks exactly like one um sorry uh uh adrian um an eric lang game okay i looked it up now it's not designed by eric lang but it's published by simon with art by adrian smith so it might as well it might as well be it'll have the same skin at least yeah yeah it's like their contract with eric lang ended but they wanted to continue the theme yeah so they did what they could yeah um interesting yeah but we digress. But that's just to tell you that, like, you know, this game kind of obviously was very successful because it has a long legacy that is continuing in one form or another. Right. Um, yeah. So the game itself is the, the title Blood Rage is a little bit more subtle than Ankh, Gods of Egypt or Rising Sun even. But it is a reference to viking culture right and like if you've ever like seen viking movies like the northmen or something or you're familiar with like you know viking culture or played age blood of rage, empires even yeah like the blood rage is kind of something that is actually like a reference to um like berserkers like when vikings go berserk and get into that like killing frenzy yeah um, so it's not just like a name that they came up with for this game. It is referencing something right. um, deeper. And the game is very much like, again, feeding into the mythology. And it's you know tackling the concept of the nine realms, where each realm is featured on the map. And you have Yggdrasil, the tree of life in the middle, which is the most important realm. And you have you know all the monsters you would expect in viking culture so in the base game you have like a frost giant you have dwarves you have elves um you have a sea serpent so it's, very, it's very cool yeah yeah exactly and like just like ankh the miniatures and the artwork are awesome so it really helps with the oh yeah immersion um so with that said give us a sense of how do you play this game yeah for sure so um i mean well, thanks for setting the stage thematically, and I, I think like that leads right into the gameplay. You're basically each playing as a Viking clan that is duking it out for glory and to etch your name in the history books during the Ragnarok last days um, of the world. And so you have, as Ed said, this this map with... Idrisil, the tree in the middle, and then is it eight or nine regions around it? Nine? Um, it should be, it's eight. It should because be Because it's nine realms including right. Idrisil. Right, so because two of the regions the have is... three and one has two. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. that's what I was going to say. Yep. And so... Um, and even like the, the region names like Jotunheim, Mannheim, and I forgot the other one, like those are actual references to realms. Yeah. So like if anyone who has watched... Um, the first Thor movie. Yes. <laughs> You'll know that like Loki, his frost giant species, they're from Jotunheim. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, good, th good callback there. That's nice. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, so you start as a Viking tribe and mm -hmm. you are playing through three ages and 
you are trying to accumulate as many glory points as you can through completing quests, winning combat, a variety of means. And as you're doing so, you're trying to balance a couple different things. You're one, trying to score those glory points because that's ultimately going to be the arbiter of victory as in, you know, many of these types of games. But Mm -hmm. as you're going along, you're also trying to ratchet yourself up on, I don't know, would you describe it as a tech tree, basically? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's because it's like, because it's three permanent upgrades. So yes. it's the yeah, because you're upgrading upgrade exactly. the axes and the helms. Is that what they call the third one? Yeah. So you're basically upgrading one your rage, your currency for performing actions during the action phase of the game. Secondly, you're upgrading your axes, which gives you the number of glory points that you're going to win each time you win a combat encounter. And then the third one is the, well, they're helmets. I, I don't know what the, the game's name for them are, but it's basically... I think they were helms. Maybe helms, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that's basically just determining the maximum number of figures that you can have on the board at a time. And so you are... I think it probably makes the most sense having described the basic objective there to get into how a round works you start yes. you start with basically a card drafting closed card drafting where each player is given um a pile of cards i believe is it eight cards eight. at the start yep. yeah and of those eight cards you select one and then you pass the remaining seven to the player to your left And so, you know, there's a lot of good, intriguing cards in the game, and they're associated with five different gods that each kind of specialize in, you know, some type of strategy. Mm -hmm. And, And so you're, you know, constantly striking that balance between, you know, you're probably going to have at least a couple cards you'd like to keep, and you're trying to, like, optimize your own hand while not giving the player the other players like overly competitive cards that are going to have like really good synergy with each other yeah that becomes even more true like in the later rounds when you have a sense of what someone else might want based on what their strategy looks like yeah absolutely yeah so i guess like you'd call that hate drafting (laughs) yeah yeah or blood Um, rage drafting (laughs) yes yeah and what I like about what you said with the different gods is like it helps thematically because, for example, like right. the Thor affiliated cards tend to be very combat heavy, very strength heavy. Um, yeah. Frigga tends to be a little bit more like healing or strategic or, or like, like, you know, more placing support more, based. Placing more figures on the board. There's some logistics thrown in there with some of the cards for Frigga. Yeah. And then like the Loki combat cards are kind of, you know, tricksy yeah. in a way which where they're on brand in terms of yeah so it's it's cool yeah and then um so once you've and then basically that cycle continues until every player has six cards total mm-hmm. and then you go into the action phase and as i mentioned you know with this tech tree you've got a rage meter and you start at six points at the beginning about halfway up the scale and that determines how many like how many actions you can take over the course of the game and there's a variety of there's five actions that you can take and can just to give you know a basic overview you pay a certain number of rage to recruit and invade basically putting Mm -hmm. new pieces on the board Um, once your pieces are on the board, you can pay rage to move them from one region to another. That is a bit restrictive because you can only move all of the units from one single region to another region. You can't 
kind of parcel them out to multiple regions on one turn. So you have to, yep. you, you, you do have to think ahead logistically in terms of like where you're going to want to move people in that respect. Um, and then beyond that, you have the option to upgrade, which is basically to um, play one of the cards in your hand. There are a variety of cards, which we can get into in a moment, but for the purposes of this action um, option, um, suffice to say that you have some cards that will upgrade your clan's abilities, either by boosting the strength of your leader or boosting the strength of your ship or boosting the strength of your foot soldiers or your entire clan. And so, you know, some of them might make other costs cheaper over the course of the game. Some of them might make certain soldiers more powerful. Some of them might allow you to get more points in certain combat situations. Um, but the, you're basically using those to upgrade your capabilities as you go along beyond the tech tree basics. And this is where the asymmetry of the <clears throat> game starts to, like, you know show a little bit because you're all starting from the same baseline. The clans are identical at the start, but then based on the cards you're drafting and then the, the upgrades you're doing, you're going to have different abilities as the game goes along. Yeah. And then that's a pretty good rundown of how that works. Yeah. And so then two other actions that you can do. Uh, these are actions that don't cost any rage in and of themselves, but you need at least one rage left in order to perform them anyway. One of those is to do do a quest. You have some quest cards that, I mean, for the most part, it's just who has the most strength in a given region at the end of the age. I think all of them are, at least in the base game, it's, it's either, either that, that or, or like have a certain number in Valhalla. Who've already died. Yeah. Right. Those are yeah. the two basic conditions for fulfilling these. And so on your turn, you can set aside a quest card, which will get, if you complete it, will allow you to earn a certain number of victory points and then also move up one space in one of the um, variables in your tech tree typically. And so, but in order to achieve it, you have to first set that card aside and say, I'm going for this objective this round. And then your last option is to perform a raid. And when you're performing a raid, you basically initiate a battle in the region you're in. And then the turn order goes around adjacent players with adjacent units have a chance to decide whether they want to enter the combat as long as space allows and then everyone involved in the combat plays one card and you see whose strength is highest and then resolve the win conditions um yeah so you're combining the strength the base strength of the units yeah plus any unit abilities with the value and abilities on the card exactly well put yeah um, and then one other thing that's an interesting mechanic in this game, a catch-up mechanic in a way, is that if you win the battle, you um, you earn the victory points for the battle, but then you discard the battle card that you played. Whereas if you are on the losing side, all of your units are killed and sent to Valhalla until the end of the round, but you are able to keep the card you played. So it's not like if you're on the losing side of a combat, you're also burning a card, which give, keeps you more competitive in future battles in the round, typically. Yeah, and that was that was a mistake that I did not pay attention to the first time we played, and I right. suffered for it. Because I it makes ended a up big with difference. Like, I, kept, yeah. I kept wondering, I was like, how do you guys have so many cards? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. makes a very big difference. Um, um, speaking of Valhalla, yes. we should talk about the ragnarok that happens we have each of the three ages we absolutely should yeah so once you've you know everything we just described is in the action phase of the game once either all of the regions have been raided or all of the players have extinguished their rage currency for the round the round ends and at that point you 
gate you look to see if anyone had any quests that they fulfilled you divvy up the points for that then everybody um that then everybody looks to well do you do the valhalla count at that point or no you do the ragnarok first right you do the ragnarok first right i mean like some of the quests are like valhalla units in valhalla pre-Ragnarok so in that case you would do that ahead of it but right then you go ahead with the Ragnarok phase before releasing everybody from Valhalla yeah so and the Ragnarok just like it collapses one of the regions on the map so at the beginning of each round like you know which region it's gonna be yes and you're all kind of aware of that and then the way it works is like you get points you get glory points for each unit that died in the Ragnarok so you kind of have to decide it's an interesting like right cool element where you have to decide like do i want to get points from um condemning my units to death or do i want to get points later on by leaving my units alive to fight another day and maybe win a future fight yeah so that you're well positioned for the next round um yeah and yeah and the stakes get higher as the game goes along because the number of points you get per unit killed in the ragnarok event increases uh, every round so two in the first round per unit then three and then four um, and then once you've done that you get all your units back from Valhalla they go to your supply so they are not placed back on the board you have to pay more rage in the next round to put them back on the board um, and then the cycle begins again with another round of card drafting and you go through three ages and at the end of the third age the player with the highest score wins yes and the points will be a total of like you'll get honestly you get most of your points throughout the game just as it goes yeah um on that glory tracker which is how the points are scored and then at the end the big thing is that like if you upgrade those three um tech tracks the rage axes and helms sufficiently you'll get bonus points if you upgrade it a ton so if you get like far enough on the track you'll get 10 points per category and then 20 points per category yeah 20 for which, max honestly out, right yeah it's a pretty big swing because i think in our experience both games we played the winner ended up with over 100 points but not much over 100 so I and, it, and exactly and it ended up being so roughly like just under half your points came from that tech tree yeah or maybe just more than it. Yeah, roughly half. Yeah, yeah, roughly half. Yeah, cool. Yeah, um, good job. That was a good rules overview because there's a lot going on. There is a lot going on in the game. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we can get into the more subjective. How do we feel about this game? Well, well, and I guess one question I have. I mean, you already alluded to one already, but uh, should we get into some? Uh, either tips for first time players or just like things to be aware of that are easy to misstep on the first time you play. Yeah, I have a lot. Mm, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack on that. It's really, but like, it's, I say that, but then I think about it, it's, it's a lot of little silly things. Mm-hmm. It's not big thing. It's just like little minutia to keep track of. That makes a big difference over the course um, of the game. What, yeah, are there so one or two that you like, think make an outsized difference? Um, remembering that if you lost a combat, you get your combat card back. Yeah, that's one. Another one that we constantly keep mixing up, and luckily someone corrects it every time, is that if you win um, a combat, but you didn't initiate it, you don't get the pillaging bonus. Yes, it's only the person who initiated it will get it. Exactly. So. Yeah. The pillaging bonus being the ability to upgrade one of your traits on your tech tree. Yeah. yeah. And then just the final one is just like paying attention to the details of some of the powers on the upgrades of like when they reference certain units. Mm-hmm. Like if something says warriors only, that's not all units, you know, or like, yeah, sometimes a ship counts for something. Sometimes it doesn't. Yes. Um, yeah. Just little things like that. that like, you know, you can't really blame the rules because the rules are the rules, but it's just, it's a lot to keep track of if you don't know the game. It's, it's a lot to juggle. Well. So, so yeah. w- one other thing I would say for first time players, that's helpful is that if you're feeling like, cause I think you can easily 
especially because you're starting with the card drafting with no exposure to the action phases, it's going to be hard to know at first what cards are even worth keeping and which Mm -hmm. cards are not. So I would say there are basically two rules of thumb early on that I think are helpful. One is that it's helpful to have a mix of cards. Um, It's helpful to have of the eight cards, at least one to two upgrade cards, one to two battle bonus cards that will like add bonus points to your strength for a combat and at least one to two quest cards so that you, cause those are over. You don't want to ignore those cause over the course of the game, that's a decent chunk of points. I think the first round yeah. ones are maybe worth four to five points, but you're talking 10, 11 points per card by the third round. And they'll also give you an additional um, clan upgrade on the tech tracks. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, which is huge. So it's like, and that's a way to upgrade that even if you didn't win a battle. Yep. So I think my general rule the second time we played, having the experience of playing the first time, was if I was torn between, you know, a couple of cards to draft, Mm -hmm. what kind of helped me make that decision was I kind of went with a 2 2 2 rule. Mm hmm. Two combat, two quests, two upgrade. Yeah, I think that's a good rule um, of thumb. And if if anything, I think maybe like as the game shifts, you can compromise on the upgrades a little bit. Yeah. In that third round in particular, and maybe go a little bit more combat heavy. Because even if you don't plan on fighting a ton, doesn't mean that other people won't. And if they do, you want to be able to hold your own. Yeah. In fairness, I think what the cards in each of those categories do also evolves over the course of the game. Cause early on those upgrade cards are like, you know, making your turns more efficient or like mm-hmm. increasing the ability of your soldiers. But by round three, a lot of them are just getting you more victory points to eke out a victory at the end. Yes. Like the one that's like, um, you know, the ship upgrade. It's like anytime a ship dies, you get, you get 12, 12 points. points. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I guess one other tip I'd say for first time or, you know, early players, which honestly that still applies to us. us. Yeah, for sure. Um, but one thing I found helpful is that if you're having trouble remembering which cards have synergy with each other, just remember, just try to specialize in one or two of the gods. Don't try to like Mm -hmm. do a little bit of everything. when it comes to the card drafting if you can like get a couple cards for um a few like one to two of the gods there's a good chance that they'll synergize in some way that's a good one that's actually something that i don't think i've done intentionally so i'll be on the lookout for that yeah cool um so best thing about this game yeah I <sighs> hmm. There's a few things that come to mind. But when you first asked the question, the very first thing I thought of was the combat system and how un- mm-hmm. unpredictable it is and how uncertain victory is, even when you feel like I've got a pretty good lock on this. Just just because the cards can really, really change a combat profoundly. Um, And not just by giving you a bunch of extra strength. Sometimes they they cancel card effects or, yeah, just throw a wrench into it by destroying units before the combat happens. Like, all kinds of, like, wacky things can happen. Yeah, initially I was thinking about how it shared like combat DNA with Scythe, but I think that's wrong. I think I think it's actually much more like unmatched. It's a little bit like unmatched. That's a good Where, the way yeah. that like you like it's a lot like unmatched actually. The yeah, like the raw values can be a huge deal, but at the same time the card effects are just as good, and you yeah. don't know which one is going to win the day. And that like that same exhilaration of like emotional highs and lows around combat is the same for both games that's a that's a really good comparison i like that yeah um but what about for you best part of the game yeah i'm gonna go with the card drafting yeah 
Um, that is something that I like. As yeah, I think we talked a couple of weeks ago about Carnival of Monsters a little bit. Yeah, we, yeah, and it came up. That is, and you know, games like Seven Wonders and It's a Wonderful World. There are lots of and Sushi Go. People love those games, and it's fun to see that card drafting mechan- like mechanic in like a more complex game where it's not the whole game, but it's part of it. And it's something you don't see very often. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, for people who like that a ton, but like more complex games, this is your opportunity to get that in. Yeah, um, no doubt. Yeah, and like it's it's not something you'd expect to see in an area control game. So I like that. Well, and it it really it really sets your course a lot. I feel like, I mean, ta- tactically, I think the card drafting makes a bigger difference and doing that well is going to be more a deciding factor more of the time than I think positioning your figures well or doing other parts of the game well. Yeah, because like drafting the right upgrade early on or something or the plus six combat bonus, like that's it. That's the thing. Yeah. Um. So... <laughs> That kind of leads into my uh, worst thing about this game. Okay, go for it. Um, so the way I say that, like drafting the card, the right card, that's it. Like, yeah, that that's kind of it in my experience. Maybe we're maybe I'm wrong because we haven't played it, you know, a hundred times. But um, the thing that's frustrated me both times is it seems like the player who is ahead is ahead. And it kind of becomes a runaway train where like there's some upgrades in that deck that seem very, very powerful. And, you know, it's the kind of game where like one combat victory in round one or round two, if it's like one of the bigger combats that maybe involves multiple players or someone has a lot of, like people have a lot of units on it, you know the outcome of that and you know the outcome of the game. And both times that we played to me at least it's felt like the third round was just kind of going through the motions because it felt like by the end of round two we knew what was going to happen and who was going to win and that's not what i want when i play a game like this you know i want it to feel like the whole game matters and that like just because someone's ahead right now doesn't mean they're ahead long term yeah. or that like even the first time we played like i was ahead on the point tracker but i was like i'm not really because at the end of the game you're gonna get plus 50 points for your upgrades and i know that already yeah you know so it's like i wish it's just it's very swingy there's huge consequences for things a little too early on and then it's like it's frustrating because there's no real catch-up mechanic that's powerful enough to overcome that cascading advantage of like people upgrading faster than you um you're just having like bad luck in one combat things like that yeah and i i I mean i i said i know we said like we don't want to talk about ankh too much but i think that's where i i like ankh more because in a three plus player game you have the merge which does you know, in my experience, 50-50 affect the outcome of the game, yeah. which is the way it should be. And then even when you don't, like, the terrain of the game is changing in a way that can affect things in in an interesting way. And, like, the asymmetry is more balanced because everybody gets upgrades. Everybody has asymmetric god powers. Um, it- and like, whereas this one, like the map is collapsing in on you and reducing your options when someone's ahead of you in Ankh, it's the opposite. It's expanding outward. Well, and I, it's so like there are more regions to compete in that's and the person true. who's like, the person who has more points isn't necessarily the person who gets to like draw the map. Well, and w- that's true. One other thing I want. So I want to point out one thing that I think is like, I guess what's the way what what am i trying to say here i think there's one factor that like supports and lends credence to what you just said and one that maybe Mm -hmm. is a caveat to it um okay on on the in favor of what you said 
I think one of the mechanics that plays into a, that a lot is that in Ankh, your engine is always contested because it depends on your control of monuments, which other players at certain points can take from you. Whereas yes. the tech tree in Blood Rage, once you've done those upgrades, they're yours for the rest of the game and no one can take them from you. Yeah. And that, and that, the, that makes a big difference. What's the flip side? Um, it does. And also just like, it's it's honestly, it's even more than that because it's like, same thing with like the points. Like, I'm, well, like yeah, you have glory, but I don't know. It doesn't feel the same. Okay. So the one caveat I'll say is I think that I think it's possible that a game like this would get more balanced with more experience playing it because I agree. I think you're going to, if that happens, you're going to be less likely to see one person run away with it and more likely to have multiple players kind of bunched together in roughly the same, like, like, within the same range on their tech tree. And I think the the difference you've pointed to is largely a product of those, you know, 30 to 60 points you can get from maxing out your tech tree. And if you either mm -hmm. have everybody max them out or nobody max them out, depending on how the combat shakes out, probably more likely to have nobody quite max all them out. Um, I that's the way I think it should be. I think it like it kind of defeats the point if everybody would just get like plus fifty, plus sixty each yes. game, and it kind of feels like that's not what happens. But it feels like it, I almost wish it was in a way that like you play through a game and nobody gets it. Mm -hmm. Like for that many points, I feel like it should be something really challenging, and it doesn't feel challenging enough once you get a head start. Well, it's there's momentum to it. I agree with you on that. Like once you get a little bit ahead, you're, you know, it, it's, it's, it's easy. It's, you have a little bit more latitude, I think, but I do by the same token, I think that, I think that it, I think the first couple times we were playing it, we were still getting used to the card drafting. We were still getting used to the mechanics. I think with a couple plays under our belt now, we'd be more likely to notice if someone's starting to pull ahead and I know, you know, kind of do a risk type thing where you like gang up on that person until they're back in the middle of the pack again, you know? Yeah. It's still, I don't know. It still feels like it'd be tough because they do have like a rage advantage or, you know, I mean, that's true, but like the up, some of the upgrades are like some of the, you know, some of the up pretty great. And there's no way to like re remove them. Well, I don't know if I would agree with that completely because I think there are some asymmetric things that can, for instance, there's like the Loki card that, that, um, allows you to basically leech rage from a player that beats you in a combat. And if you're able to do that and bring someone's rage like down to zero from that, that's game changing. Mm -hmm. and, and but but it's at the cost of losing a combat, it, yeah, which is painful. That no, that's certainly true. But I think one of the things that I think is one of the things I think this I think there's an element of this game that's a little bit like chess where you're mm -hmm. the player that places their figures later in the round is at an advantage. The player that uses their rage more slowly in the round is at an advantage. But I mean, there's a balance to it, right? Because you're, you're giving up the, f the first choice spots, but it's like, if you, if other players like contest a space and, you know, especially when the battles end in a draw, which they sometimes do, often the player that wasn't involved in the combat is the one that benefits the most from that. And that's often the player that hasn't put as much on the board yet. Now, right. whether that's an engaging mechanic, I, I'm not sure. Honestly, that's maybe 
that's maybe my biggest quibble with the game is that it uh, sort of like certain games of unmatched it's like you get such you can get such a benefit from being passive that it feels like you're earning a like a premium from not taking actions even more so than from being highly strategic if that makes sense Hmm. do you know what i'm saying yeah but i think the thing is like with unmatched you are still paying a premium for being passive because well let's keep the the focus on this game though yeah whereas in in this game i think the issue is also like when you're talking about like the the solution would be to have players gang up on the person who's pulling ahead Mm -hmm. i think that Often it's like it's a little hard. It's to often do. gonna lead. It's gonna lead to someone basically having like a murder suicide strategy, where they basically sacrifice any chance of them winning the game to bring the other person down. Yeah, by like joining in a battle that they really wouldn't. That really isn't serving their strategy. Yeah, you know, and giving up. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and that's where I I think like that might be what the merge and Ankh kind of addresses. It gives the person who would otherwise have to, um, that's, you know, pay the price another way to like still win. Well, because you're right. I, because I feel like the times when someone really pulled ahead in the game, it wasn't Mm -hmm. that the other players didn't notice that that was happening. They did notice but they weren't willing to be the one to put a stop to it because they knew that that would take them out of contention. So neither player did. And then the Mm -hmm. player kind of ran away with it. Yeah. Or it was even then it was like, it was too risky. Yeah. Because you're still fighting an uphill fight. Right. With, with less margin for error. Exactly. And no reward. (laughs) Yeah. Well, especially, especially if you're not even getting the, uh, tech tree upgrade because you didn't initiate the combat so most you're going to get out of it is four or five points right exactly um okay so do we want to talk about the expansion that we use i don't think there's that much to say on it yeah we could talk about it a little bit so um you got three expansions in this game one of them is pretty straightforward it just adds the ability to play with a fifth player um another one that the one that we played with is called Mystics of Midgard and this one adds one more category of units to your arsenal. And so you I mean we kind of talked about this. You've got your leader which you know is free to deploy, has the highest strength of the regular soldiers Basic, in your yeah in your group. Then you've got foot soldiers, which are cheaper to deploy, but have less strength. You've got a ship that is somewhere in between, but it's trade off is that it has no mobility once it's placed on the board. And then like Ankh, you've got all these monsters that you can recruit to your team as well, that each have their own specialized abilities. What the mystics do is they have um, same level of strength as the ships, too. Um, but then they are free to deploy, and they come with a special ability, which you're only able to play them if you have a Mystic card upgrade that you play. And then as long as you keep that card in play, the Mystic that you have deployed has that ability. Um, And so, for instance, one of the abilities is if you're destroyed, you get to retreat to an adjacent territory if there's room. Or another one was that if you enter a combat that has another team's mystic or soldier in it, you get to instantly destroy one of them. Um, Mm -hmm. Or another, I think the third one is that you get a certain bonus points of glory for each mystic you have in a combat. So it's not adding a ton really, but it's adding just one more specialized unit that gives you, whether you go for it or not, one more avenue for calibrating 
what forces you want at your disposal. Yeah. I, so we used this the second time we played and I actually didn't recruit a mystic. So I really have nothing to say on this cause I didn't, I didn't use it. Well, and I, um, and I didn't, and I didn't really even notice the impact of I'll be honest, the other players having it. Well, I'll be honest. I recruited two of the three and mm-hmm. it was helpful sometimes, but mm-hmm. I think because I don't think you necessarily want more than one of them because I had two and the trade-off there was that you've got three slots for your clan upgrades. Two of my three slots were taken up with the mystic cards. So it's like, it was kind of nice to have them, but it severely limited what other bonuses I could bring into play. And so you kind of end up pigeonholing yourself and their abilities are nice, but I'm not sure that that they're worth that trade off. Okay, I'll take your word on it because <laughs> again, I I just don't know. Yeah, I haven't played with it. Yeah. Um. And then what was the final expansion that the one we haven't done? Yeah, so I can get into that one a little bit. Uh, we and with the caveat, we haven't played with this expansion, but the other expansion for this game is the Gods of Asgard. And it comes with, I believe, six god figurines. And Mm. the gameplay basically stays the same, except at the beginning of the game, you pick two of these gods. You place them on two of the regions on the board. And then it changes the win conditions for how the combat is resolved. That's cool. Yeah. And so, so no one actually like controls the god figurines. They're correct. Just... It just changes okay. the rules, how the rules of engagement are applied in a given region, and then, you know, they move from region to region during each each age. Um, and so, from what I have heard and read online, I did a little digging on this. It sounds like mm-hmm. that of the two expansions that are adding units you know the gods one versus the mystics one from what i hear uh gods of asgard is more of a game changer but it's not fundamentally changing the game so i think it right i mean just to like put a benchmark to it my guess would be less dramatic of a change than say spirecrest or pearlbrook in um in Everdell. I think I have I have two two good parallels for this. One that's in this kind of Eric Lang universe is it seems almost like the um in Ankh you have the different scenarios in the booklet. Yeah. Yeah. The cities like one, up, that kind just of like thing. how you set yeah, how you set the map differently. Yeah. Um and then outside of this, it sounds kind of like the Princess and the Profiteer and the Works of Wonder expansion for Architects of the West Kingdom. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, no, that, which, that's a great analogy, actually, because it's changing your calculus for which spots you're putting units on. Yeah, and they move. Right, precisely. There's two of them. <laughs> yeah, um, the parallels yeah. are are Okay, multiple. I think, Do you did you get this expansion or no? I don't have it yet, no. Okay, um, do you plan to? I'm not, um, I might get that one, because um, that one, okay. it's like 20 bucks, so eh, I might. Right. I will okay. stay. There are also a whole slew of other monsters you can get. Many of them were... I saw that, yeah. Many of them were Kickstarter exclusives, but they're very expensive because they're kind of collector's Mm -hmm. items now. And honestly, from what I read on Reddit and a few other places, it didn't seem like... It didn't seem like people that... There were at least a sizable contingent of people who got them and then were not overly enamored in how they changed the gameplay. I think one, right. One observation I remember reading was just that some of them are so powerful that it makes it seem as though just by recruiting them, you can like throw a wrench into somebody's plans Mm. without having really earned it. And again, like, I don't think this of all games needs anything else like that. 
that's too because there's because there's already a lot of variability and uncertainty built into it mm-hmm. from the get-go. and one thing that one thing that I like about both this game and Ankh is with the um, monsters in both games they look really awesome and very imposing but they don't break the game like for the most part they're very um very restrained very disciplined in how much of an impact they have like they're just a slight plus on a standard unit which i think is the way it should be where like you know it's worth getting them but like you don't want to break the game because somebody has the frost giant right well you know well, yeah well and i think the the game does a good job of like allowing for recalibration on multiple fronts because on the one hand maybe you do have some units that are considerably more powerful than your average unit but they're very expensive and so then your trade-off is you're basically building like a lebron miami heat since you're in miami super team (laughs) that doesn't have a lot of depth right Um, yeah or you know maybe you have Another one where, like, it doesn't cost as much, but it's not, like, a huge game changer. Or maybe you have another one that it's, like, its power is only active in certain parts of the board, like the Dark Elf. And it's, like, in certain situations, it's great, but it's in other situations, it's no better than a standard foot soldier. And so it's, like, you've got some of them where their use is contingent, where they're only offering you an advantage if they're being used correctly. That's fine. I, I yeah, like that. Like, exactly. That's that's a good balance. Yeah. Um. I don't. Do you feel like it's worth doing a game recommendation? Um, for this game because we've mm. talked about its similarity to other games already, and particularly, you know, it being part of this trilogy. I think I don't think we have to say anything more about Ankh because we've kind of covered right. that already. So but, how about let's let's go outside of the Simon category. Yeah. So no other Eric Land games, no Zombicide. Yeah. Yeah. One. I mean, I thought, I thought your unmatched analogy was really good. Another one that comes mm-hmm. to mind is, is um, I see parallels between the combat system in Dune Imperium in this game. Okay. Just in the sense that, you know, you have your base strength, you've got, you know, in, in that game, you've got special ship units, dreadnoughts that you can bring in for added muscle. Um, the fact that you're in, well, I, one difference is that in, in that game, you're always deciding round by round whether you want to engage in a single combat or not. Or, whereas in this game, you're choosing between multiple ones and you don't always have a choice. Um, but they're similar in the sense that cards can very much change a combat that you thought was locked down and that you're navigating between battles of varying importance over the course of this game. In some ways, I think Blood Rage has maybe a slight edge over that. Not overall game, just the combat phase. Just be right. just because I think you have more there's more room in a game like Blood Rage, not as much as Ankh, but more than Dune Imperium to excel and do well at a game, even if you lose a combat. Whereas I think in Dune Imperium, it's like you don't ever really want to lose a combat Mm -hmm. unless you're trying to like egg someone into using too many of their soldiers in this round so that you can win the next one. That's about as far as that strategy will take you in that game. Makes sense. Um, But yeah, that's one that comes to mind. So I guess it's kind of like a, game recommendation in reverse where I'm like, if you like Dune Imperium, but you wish you weren't so sad every time you lose a battle, try Blood Rage. <laughs> yeah, I'm also I'm also going to take the reverse approach where I'm going to go with the like card drafting games that I talked about earlier. Ooh, so I'm, gonna, getting... I'm, gonna, I'm just going to I'm going to say Seven Wonders. Oh, just to... I thought you were going to say Carnival of Monsters. 
That's okay. I think I did. I think I did that a couple weeks ago. But really, any Maybe of them, did. like Carnival of Monsters, Sushi Go, Seven Wonders, mm-hmm. um, it's a wonderful world. Um, if you, I think, like if you love those games, if you enjoy those, um, and you're intimidated by big scary games with bloody Vikings on it, and you don't think that you like combat games and area control and games that take more than thirty minutes then maybe give this a try because again, like I do think like that 60 to 90 minute um, label on the box. I do think like that's realistic. Maybe not the first time, but it's odd that a game is under your belt. Yeah. Like the game is actually fairly honest about the play time, which I appreciate. A lot of games should take note. Um, And I think, yeah, if you're looking to try and like up your game a little bit and get a little bit more sophisticated, give this a try. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the only other one that comes to mind is uh, Oceans. I love Oceans. Oh, is that if you want to be mean? Yeah. If you if you draw, like draw blood. Yeah. If you like drawing blood and you want a maritime blood rage, try Oceans. Yes, and and we said unmatched already. So yeah. lots of if you like all the mean games that frustrate you and you lose, this is it. Mm-hmm. When you when you. <laughs> thwart and are thwarted by your fellow players mm-hmm. um okay so final ratings you want to go first Ooh, yes i'll say i'm waffling between two numbers mm-hmm I am too. That's why I asked you to go first. <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say seven and a half. Okay. And that's largely because of the balance issues that you mentioned about it. I mean, I'm not sure if I would take it as far as you did, where the conclusion is preordained by the end of the second round. I think sometimes that might be the case. I also think there are times where you can game it with enough quest points to eke out an unexpected win. And I feel like that would be very fun in that game to pull that off. Um, So right now it's a seven and a half, but I could see this edging up to an eight with a few more plays. If it proves to be, you know, a little bit better balanced once you've got experienced players going head to head. Okay. Um, for this one, I'm going to do something that I almost never do. And we kind of discussed this after our second playthrough. Mm-hmm. So my usual experience with games is I tend to like them more. I know. When I, when I yeah, play them. you did Additionally, Yeah. Um, usually, and I'm happy that this is usually the way it goes. Is like my first play of a game is usually my least favorite because there's such a learning curve and it takes a long time and you make mistakes, all that. This is one of those rare occasions where I had the opposite experience. Uh, so I would have, uh, after our first play, I think I would have agreed with you on the 7.5 uh-huh. or maybe even like a 7.75 if such things were allowed, but yeah. we don't have that. Um, and I think the second, the second play brought me down to a seven. Okay. Which I is really this... did not want to be true. Okay. Now, I, I want you to explain why in a second, but first, can I just uh-huh. say, is this the first time that I've given a higher rating to a game than you have? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Milestone. Um, but but go on. Yeah. Um, so the issue, so basically, I'll, I'll kind of give you my behind the scenes, right? Having never played this game, I was preconditioned to love it, right? Because of yes. my... Could... heavy financial and emotional investment in arc yeah <laughs> and so i'm like okay cool another one that has everything in common i should love this just as much or maybe more um then looking at you know as we as we talked about up front how highly rated it is and people seem to like it more um i was like okay like it must be that good it has card drafting i love that it must be that good and play it the first time, and I was disappointed because I didn't love it as much as I thought I would. But I still was like, 25% of my brain was like, I want to buy this game. 
then the other 75% was like, no, you have six boxes of Ankh on your shelf. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But but definitely play it again and hopefully love the game and think like that it's, you know, as great as everyone says. And then we played that second play and all the things that I didn't like the first time solidified. Mm-hmm. And I I resisted that, but I if I'm honest, that's just that's just what happened. And I'm yeah. I'm still not in a place where I'm like I don't like this game or I don't want to play it again. Would you give it, Would you give it another couple chances? Yes, because I like I want to go back up to that. At this one, like I just want to get back up to that seven point five or yeah. maybe to an eight. Yeah, I want to, and maybe like more plays will do that, and maybe like. And maybe the like, gods you know, of Asgard not, <laughs> expansion would make a difference too. Who, that's what I was trying. I was about to say, like, I don't want to push you to buy it if you don't want to buy <laughs> it. But like, maybe that would help. Yeah. Um, but I don't. Even then, I don't think that I'm ever gonna have it up to that nine where Ankh is because yeah. at the end of the day, like Ankh didn't need, um, you know, the second and third opinion to form my, my, at least like the general vibe of how I feel about it. And I'm sad about that because part of me was like, you know, maybe this would be like an awesome trilogy of games to just absolutely love, maybe not invest in, you know, to the extent I invested in Ankh, but like maybe at some point have just base game, Blood Rage and Rising Sun. And now I'm like, eh, I still want to play that. Rising Sun because we need to do a trilogy mashup episode. Definitely, definitely. That might be one where we... I'm pretty sure that Labyrinth has an open copy on the shelf that we can try out at some point. Yeah, we'll have to give that a shot. Um, Take it for a yeah. spin. Yeah. But so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the seven for now. It does. It hurts a little bit to say that, but yeah. I'm just being honest. Well, and I mean, it's... I mean, I'm I'm proud of you. I'm I'm. It's pretty brave. <laughs> it's pretty brave of you, given the like, you know, the blood going rage against... infused Vikings that we're dealing with here for you to like stick your neck out like that. I know. I'm like I'm like, are there going to be a contingent of people who hear that and they're like, cool, these guys don't know what they're talking about. I'm done. <laughs> but I, I don't know. You know what? Everyone. So you know what I. I I, w- I know I know people who are like very well respected in the board, board game hobby who hate Wingspan, who hate yeah, um, all sorts of games. I, so it's just everyone has their taste. And one last caveat I'll say is, you know, just a few plays in, we are barely scratching the surface on the synergies between these cards. So I think it's also possible that there are counter strategies to some of these what seem after a few plays to be dominant strategies that maybe we have not unlocked yet. Yes. I hope that's true. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But until, until then my, my rage has cooled. Oh, I'm in, I'm in Jotunheim with the frost giants. I mean, I will say I, I, I think I, I'm a bit more sympathetic to the game than you. It sounds like, well, clearly from the scores, but I will say, uh, I mean, Ankh, I if given a choice between playing those two games today, I'd pick Ankh too. Yeah, and that's it makes me wonder, like I wonder how much of the Blood Rage love is nostalgia. Well, it could be that, or it could just be maybe people bought Blood Rage and were happy with it and didn't buy Ankh, haven't played it. It's possible. Well, but even I'm thinking like even people who I've like I've heard reviews of Ankh and Rising Sun where people compare it to Blood Rage and they've played all three and it seems almost unanimously with like one or two exceptions, Blood Rage comes out on top. So do you I feel like a lot of that could just be the card drafting mechanic. Because it maybe because honestly, I you, I mean, you—that was your your high point for the game, and it was a good one. It's up there for me too, and yeah, you don't get anything like that. Ankh doesn't scratch that itch. No, and also we are both pro merge in Ankh, whereas a lot of people it's like fifty fifty. So right. I think that's what brings it down. Yeah, and then Rising Sun. I don't know. I don't know what's up with that one. It just. <laughs> I think it's the fact that it's like it's more diplomacy based and negotiations based. It's a little bit less. Yeah. Rules strategy based. Well, and I mean, 
Yeah, that's about as much as I know about it too. But my guess is if you've got an area control game that is, you know, large, largely or somewhat negotiation based, maybe you just have a mismatch between people's expectations and what the game delivers. I think that's what it, I think that's what it is. I think like the way it's phrased in the game is it's like a tea, fe- it's like a tea party or a tea festival basically is like huh. you sit around and drink tea and that's when you have like negotiation discussions and then, okay, you know, it all goes the way of a game of diplomacy where people betray and backstab. As so I think that, that is like, yeah, it's like, I think you might be right that maybe it's a cultural mismatch of like expectations versus reality. Yeah, very well could be. I'm curious yeah, to but try it though. I am too. So, and I like I like the idea of doing a um trilogy episode. Mm-hmm. A, a revisit and like a ranking maybe. Yeah, or or even like I mean hmm, a ranking would be interesting although I think probably most listeners would know what we think before it even started so another thing we could even do is just like taking like picking our favorite feature from each of the games and ranking those or something that's a good one yeah all right well i don't really have anything else to say about blood rage we are running pretty long on this one so i think we had a we had a good discussion yeah i think uh i think this raiding party is uh is about ready to close up shop it's Ragnarok time. It the is. end has come. It has indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we will see you next week and we'll be back with another episode. Provided the world has not ended by then. True, true. It's always a question these days, right? Certainly is. Well, <laughs> hope to see you next week, Ed. Yeah. Timely after uh, we just both um, oh, I saw know. Oppenheimer this weekend. I kept trying to so. figure out a way to work that in. Yeah. Ah, uh, well, there we go. We were on the same page with that one. <laughs> See ya. Yeah.